Welcome to Kolisha, the podcast that gives Orthodox women a voice. Welcome back to Kolisha. This week, I am excited to be joined by Jeslia, all the way from Israel. So Jeslia is a wife, a mom of six kids, and she is a performing artist. She is a music and dance instructor, as well as a singer and a dancer herself. And she has a really unique and interesting story. And I'm so excited to welcome Jeslia to Kolisha to share her story with us. Thank you. I'm very excited. So Jeslia, tell me a little bit about yourself, like your background, where you grew up, your family life, just to sort of give us a little idea of where you come from. I actually converted my husband and I And um, I come from a long uh, family line of um, pastors and um, Christian evangelical pastors. My father was a pastor himself uh, when I was growing up in the Hispanic community in Texas. Um, I converted when I was 17, my family and I, we got out of the church, um, and um, which was about in 2006 and converted in 2010. So your whole family converted together? We didn't convert together. We actually left the church together. Uh, my parents, uh, my older brother and my sister, my uh, myself and my husband, who at the time uh, was my fiance. Wow. So that's sort of unique because a lot of people who convert find that they're like very alone because their families are sort of, you know, left behind and then they have to forge this path all alone, um, living like a very different lifestyle than their biological family. So that's sounds really nice that you had that sort of whole family support in all of this. Yeah, thank God. It was, it's a big bracha. I have heard of those stories. And, you know, you know we're, we were fortunate enough to leave the church together and um, to start the process. I mean, um, my, my, me and my parents were the ones who actually did a conversion first. My brother and my sister didn't join until about a couple of years ago. And we just kind of all did, uh, had our own journeys with uh, conversion after we left the church. So there's three siblings, two parents, and all now Jewish. Yes. Wow. So do they all live in Israel with you? My parents do. They live here about five minutes away from me. And my brother and my sister-in-law with their kid. And my sister's in Texas right now. Um, She's actually just getting, she's getting married soon. And she'll be making Aliyah. So you mentioned that your father was a pastor. So it wasn't that he was a regular church going member, but he was actually in charge of the church. I come from, a, like I said, a long line of, of family members that are uh, pastors and ministers and teachers and people really involved in the ministry. So it was very, very normal for my family to also get into the that um, director and that leadership role. So it seems almost more surprising that someone who's in a leadership role and teaching others the Christian faith then decide to convert. So what was the catalyst for that? Like, how did that all play out? Who, whose idea was it? And what, what sort of led to this idea to convert to Judaism? Well, my church, um, we grew up different than the Sunday Goer Church, the um, original like evangelical movement, our day versus Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, like we observed the Sabbath. And we kept kosher to what we understood um, from the book of Leviticus, you know, uh, cleaning, like eating from clean fish and not eating pork and certain things like that. And also um, 
Christmas and Easter were pagan holidays to us. So we never were raised um, celebrating those and taking that into our own thing. So we, we kind of identified with the Jewish people, but our doctrine was very Christian. Um, so what happened was that when we, I was a teenager, my mom, she's, um, she loves to study. And she just ended up one day kind of saying like, man, we're the most boring Christians out there because we don't celebrate anything. We kind of don't gravitate to the normal Sunday goers or we're not even Jewish. You know, what is it that we can do type of thing? So she started getting into the Messianic movement, which is um, kind of like the Jews for Jay. And um, there they implemented um, Christianity with Judaism and they did uh, Jewish customs and kind of incorporated um, Jesus with um, all the, pro- you know, the prophecies that were filled and bringing the, him into um, Jewish festivals, like how he came to be a part of that and what the significance of that. So um, we started throughout that movement and through the discovery, through that discovery, she started listening to our Sheva. And this was in the year 2005 um, when G- the Gush Katif evacuation was happening in, here in Israel. And from there, she kind of just stumbled upon all the, all the shirim from all the rabbis that were going on that she just kept listening. She would like click on them and just listen after like she or she were after she were. And this was done like very privately. It wasn't done amongst all of us. But we started um, even celebrating Shabbat. Like she started making halot and doing um, bringing grape juice on Friday nights to our our services at at church. And then eventually she just said, you know, she ended up selling all of our stuff in our house because she wanted to make Aliyah. At that time, we were very Christians. She just wanted to be part of the, the, the mission part, you know, like just to take our family up in our church and go and like, you know, like uh, be a part of the redemption. Um, At the time we thought it was something different. And so um, that eventually changed. The more she was um, listening to all these rabbis speak, she became intrigued and she became more intrigued and started looking in and researching. And at the end, um, at the end of the day, after a lot of studying, she ended up just finding that there were a lot of mistakes and um, that were written in the Christian Bible. And um, she started listening to other rabbis like Tobias Singer, how they would, um, you know, um, find all the discrepancies that are in the Bible itself. And so from there, she just started telling all of my family members. Um, I remember my father and my fiance at the time went to Israel. They came here to Israel to help out in the Gush Katif evacuation. She sent them over here. And while that was happening, which was in September, 2005, she, um, this is when she started making these changes. She started realizing what was going on. So when my father came back after a two week trip, um, I noticed that there was a lot of tension, me, my brother, my sister, there was a lot of tension in the family at home and we didn't understand what was going on. And uh, about three months later, um, it was getting more and more. And um, one day I just remember her calling in my brother, you know, into her room. And they had like a conversation for about 15 minutes. Then my sister went in um, and then finally she called me. And at that time, the only thing I could think of with all this tension that's going on is my parents, you know, my parents are getting divorced and, you know, my mom's here to tell me the bad news. And it wasn't that. And she called me in and she started telling me that the things that she had found 
and that we need to get out of the church and you know that the truth is in Judaism and stuff like that and um it just kind of changed all of our worlds for sure completely how old were you at that time I was 18 so you were you know technically an adult I mean an 18 year old has sort of the ability to form their own opinion on certain things were you totally on board or were you like you know, hesitant to follow what your mom was suggesting or, you know, how, how was the dynamic between the parents and the kids? Was everyone all in? I was very spiritual. We, we grew up, me and my brother and my sister, we grew up very spiritual. And I think I was the most, I just kind of gravitated to my parents a lot as far as um, being involved in the church. Um, so from a young age, from seven, eight years old, I became involved in the dance ministry at church, which is like a dance group, basically. And actually, I took over that group when I was nine years old. So I was like a small little thing leading a bunch of teens and women in the group. Um, and around uh, age 12, 13, uh, even though I always love to sing, it's when I start, uh, this is the age where I really started showing a little maturity in my singing and more interest. I started picking up guitar at that point. And um, I started singing in the, in the church band. So it was like practice almost all week. I was very, very involved in church. And, um, and as far as leadership as well, like I took more of a leadership in the church band and was leading that um, as well. So when my mom told me, I trusted my mom and I trusted my parents as to where exactly they knew where to lead us. I knew for her to say something this important and this like significant, it was just, she wouldn't be wrong about it. It's not, it's not something, you know, like, it's our whole faith. It's our whole life being changed completely. And um, I trusted her right away. So it felt, it felt nice. Cause when she told me all the information I needed to know, um, my only response to her was mom, if that's true. And if, um, if Christianity is idolatry, then, then what happens to my soul? Because growing up as a Christian, we believe that, we believed that um, you, you have salvation through Jesus, you know, there's no other way. So as soon as I said that, this relief of, you know, just, I just felt so relieved. And I'm just like, it just felt like a fear of mine that was always there more than my relationship with God, you know? And so but from that point on, I was like, no, this is good. This feels, this feels right for some reason. And I'm not panicking for, I'm not you know, I'm not getting mad at my mom. I'm not questioning her. It was just kind of like, okay, yeah. Okay, let's do this. Like, what's the next, the next thing? So from that point, I ended up telling my fiance, which was a whole other ballgame because it's one thing to talk, you know, mother and daughter talk to talk to somebody else that's not really related to you and um, who has really strong beliefs as far as like religious beliefs. It was a very hard thing for me to do, but I just told him right away and thank God, when I told him, he was completely on board, didn't ask any questions. He was like, I knew that being here and involved with you and my, your family, you know, it would lead me to real truth that I've been looking for my whole life. Wow. Because he comes from his own family with their own set of beliefs, you know, which was like a whole other dynamic. Were they all part mm -hmm. of your church? They were uh, a part of the same denomination that we were from. And he actually attended my uncle's church, which was uh, about three hours away from where we lived. And we had known each other since we were kids. So his beliefs were very uh, intact as well. 
Wow. So, you know, you mentioned your uncle and that your father comes from a whole line of pastors. So there's this whole dynamic of the extended family as well, right? So how did they react when you guys told them, you know, we believe that everything we've believed in so far is false. And now we're going to choose like a whole different lifestyle, a whole new belief system, uh, which is pretty contrary to the Christian belief, right? Right. Right. Uh, well, first we had to start with my dad, as far as I know, and I actually never, um, never asked as far as I know, my brother and my sister were fine with the, we're fine with it because I don't remember there being any kind of, you know, argument with my mom about it, but my dad was the one who actually, um, was the first one to, to really convince because he was the pastor of a church and he had the responsibility as, um, as a leader, um, they, that's why they had, there was so much tension because they were going back and forth at this um, topic for months and months. And so finally, when my mom, she told, they told us later on what happened. And finally, when my mom showed him all the documents that she had put together, she had like a big stack of papers of everything that she had found, you know? And um, when she gave it to him, she, uh, she came very humbly and she said, I want you here. I want you to prove me wrong because I want to be wrong, you know? And so my dad, him being the pastor and the head of the family was like, oh yeah, like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to prove you wrong. Watch. He said that he came back the next day and he found even more than what my mom, you know? And at that point is when he kind of just surrendered, you know? And he started looking for answers with his teachers, with um, the other pastors within the district and, you know, his bosses and stuff as far as the church movement. And this person um, directed him to this person, another, another pastor directed him to another until he got to somebody and he explained the whole situation that was going on with my family. At this point, we hadn't said anything in the church. Um, it was more of a family issue. And when he got to this one person, he got an email back um the following week and and the and the man told him okay john my father's name before as you come to realize that um you know basically what you've discovered is truth and you know like and everything you've seen everything you everything you email yes is true your concerns and everything but you have a comfortable job you have a congregation you know so like, just drop it, you know, just leave it alone. Like, just think of it as an omen that makes the people feel like something that makes the people feel good about it. And at that point, my dad was like, no, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's not that we can't do that. And from wow. that. So that yeah. was like someone who was a leader to your dad, who was acknowledging that it was true, but we're just going to like brush it under the rug, sort of. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. That's and, pretty wild. Um, but the, but for your family, like that created this major upheaval because you guys are obviously people seeking truth. This other guy was more comfortable to keep his, you know, his lifestyle intact, which is so interesting. Right. Right. And we had the church on top of that. So after that, as a family, my dad kind of gave, gave in and we as a family had to had to strategize okay what's next because we have all we're all a part of this movement in this church and they're watching our every move and we also need to and we're honest people you know what are we gonna do we have to save the church we have to get everybody out of there and it's like that whole christian christian mentality of uh you know missionizing our own 
our own church, you know, and trying to get our, our own people, people that we've known since we we're kids out of the, out of idolatry. And that also included my extended family, which goes from there. So we started, um, we stopped singing about in church when um, there's like, it's like a weekly concert. There's concerts at the end of the week on Shabbat, the day of the Sabbath. That's when we do concerts, which is a whole like um, evangelizing type of thing through music and song. And so um, so we ended up uh, not singing about songs that had the word Jesus. My dad started incorporating like partial of the week because um, we were still we were very old school church. So it didn't really matter. We would just went. We just he just talked a lot about the Old Testament stories in the Old Testament, you know. And eventually people started catching on that there was something different happening. And um, uh, at that point, this was around January 2006. When all this happened, it was August 2005, the Kush evacuation. This is about six months later. We're still at church trying to figure out what happened. When people started kind of feeling that there was something going on, my parents took a break one uh, weekend. they told the, the church that we were going out as a family, but we ended up visiting the local Chabad. Um, it was a, a different experience. It was an experience to go into there. We felt very much at home um, and we were treated very, very nicely, which is kind of unheard of um, from what we know now, you know? Um, right away, the Robertson offered me a job uh, as an assistant in her one of her kindergarten classes at the at her Hebrew Academy and they were just talking to us the whole time that we were there that we were visiting and um, we were very much accepted and around two months after that um, that I started working that was in January um, my they had a meeting at my church uh, to kind of talk about the situation that was going on with my family eventually what happened is that a lot of People started saying lies about my family, saying weird things like my mom was levitating in church. You know, people from the different districts, pastors from different districts came to this meeting. It was like a it was a huge thing. And at the end of the night, my father just decided to resign because he didn't think it was worth it. We were there sticking it up, you know, like um, trying to save the church. And when we found out this is how they reacted and their feelings towards us and this thing. We, he just kind of let it go. And with that came my family as well, because actually one of my uncles ended up coming to this meeting to speak against my family. So, so that's how that ended. The more we try to, like I said, when you're Christian, your motives and everything are very like in mission mode. So we were trying to get our church out. We were trying to get my family out of idolatry. And every chance we had, like, I remember I would call my cousins all the time and it would just be so simple. Like now I think about it, I'm like, whoa, I can't believe I actually did that to call them and tell them, look, Jesus and this and like idolatry Christian is, you know, it was just now it's hard for me to believe that I actually did that. And it was very normal. Um, but they were very, very um, put off in the very beginning and they and they and they stopped talking to us for a very long time. I ended up, um, I was engaged that year, that August was my wedding and um, a wedding that I would have had probably more than 200 people. I ended up having for 50 people because my family didn't show up. Wow. 
that's that's very very tough i mean it's like i understand what you're saying like you want them to see the truth with you and you know save them sort of and then it winds up going in the other direction like have you have you guys reconciled at all like have they come to terms with your conversion or still yeah yeah no over the years i think maybe it's it's been a long time like we we left the church in 2006 and maybe around four years after that we started talking more like we talked a little bit not like the same there's nothing in common anymore and I mean, when they speak, all they, all they talk about is church events and what's going on in church, you know? And when we talk, we talk about Hagim and everything that's going on in our life. So there's not, there's not a connection there so much. And I think what we've kind of um, discovered is, um, you know, like it's that whole, we agree to disagree type of relationship. Um, we still, I think we still, as a family, we still pray for the day that they will leave idolatry, whether it is to be Jewish or not, but for sure to leave idolatry. And even more so, it's just so beautiful that you have your nuclear family to lean on. You know, you guys have each other and it's not just like an individual trying to navigate this alone because probably that level of support is, you know, so amazingly helpful to you. It is. And one thing I also discovered along the way in being Jewish and coming to Israel is that even the Jewish people, the, it's a one of a kind nation. I've never known anything like it. And we're just, we're really different. And that same feeling that I get with my family, I mean, on a different level, but it's close, you know, that support that, um, that community wise, like I was able to find whatever I lost back in the Christian world. I definitely gained it 10 times more here. Wow, that's so beautiful. Um, so throughout all of this, you've been performing, right? And then obviously your performing was very much tied to the church. And then you had to leave the church or you rather you chose to leave the church and start a new lifestyle. And obviously performing now as a from woman is very different. So tell me a little bit about that. Like when you decided, when your family decided to make a clean break from the church, did you have that creative outlet anywhere? And, you know, what did it take for you to find your outlet um, today as a from woman? When I left the church, as I was leaving um, the years before, because I was very involved with the church and my in the performing arts, I wanted to go to a college for the performing arts that does a lot of um, outreach. Um, they, they go on tours around the world and do, and do missionizing work. That was my dream. Um, that changed, of course. And when we left the church, there was, there was nothing anymore. I think at that point, at least I had my wedding that kept me busy and my my conversion process later on, that became something that I just kept me very busy. And so I didn't really think of singing. I didn't do singing. I did know that there is a prohibition, you know, as far as women singing, which I later understood that it's not the prohibition, but just, you know, that men cannot hear uh, a woman sing. And, and then I don't, I don't know if I realized how much I missed it. I think after the whole church thing and leaving the church, my, I think I went into some type of shock, you know, and I kind of buried the, my performance and my song and dance. I buried it deep inside because everything that was happening. And I didn't realize how much I missed it until 
in 2010, we converted in January and we made Aliyah with my parents, me and my husband. And at the time, my two-year-old, um, we made Aliyah six months later, that same year. Wow, and that's fast. That was fast. It was so fast that after two weeks of being here, after my whole vacation mode kind of, you know, faded away, I had my little meltdown and I just, you know, the cultural shock of everything, everything just came more, became more real. And my husband found me crying in the corner of our bedroom one night. And I was just telling him, I want to go home. I want to go home. I don't want to be here uh, type of thing. And the first thing and the only thing he tells me is we're not going home. This is home and you need to get involved. Go find a dance studio, go find something. And it's so weird because I hadn't danced or sang in years since we left the church. This was already four and a half years later. So it was really weird for him to actually say that to me. And when he said that, I was like, wow, like, okay. Like, I mean, we're in Israel. There's a lot of religious women here. There must be like a women's only studio. So I got on the internet the, the next day and I looked it up and sure enough, there was a dance studio that was just about to open the following week with a huge um, workshop day uh, led by Rachel Factor. I don't oh, know if you know of course. her. Yeah, I've met her. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so it was just kind of godsend. I ended up going, I fell in love with it. It was, it was the style that I was used to to doing here in America it was American she's American trained so it was very you know um, you have a lot in common well. with her you have so much in common with her and that must have been nice to have that support of someone who's like been there done that you know yeah it was it was nice to know that there's somebody um like me doing something big like this doing you know what she loves to do I didn't see how there was a way before I know I knew I did it in my past life but then like when you go into Judaism, all you hear, not all you hear, but at the time when I was, you have to learn halakha, you know, like basic, all the basic stuff. We had to learn so much in such a little bit of time to, to do our conversion. And so all the time I just kept hearing no, no, no for women, you know? And at the time I didn't understand, you know? Um, and at the time it's all different to me. It's not no's, it's more like this way, this way, instead of, you know, no, but like, I just didn't know that was possible, that there would be a place for me, you know, as a Froom Jewish woman. So I went to the workshop and I fell in love and I signed up right away. And then within months, and I actually met um, somebody who became very important in my life. I met um, Shaked, her name is Shaked, this woman. And she was one of the teachers there and a dancer as well. And after a few months, I ended up not going. This was in Yerushalayim. I ended up not going because we ended up moving to Ramal Shemesh. And so one day I actually bumped into Shaked on the bus and I was headed back home to um, Ramal Shemesh. And she asked me what I was doing on the bus and why I was going. And I was like, well, I just moved. And she's like, oh, I just, I just moved yesterday too. Like we had just moved the same day from wow. Jerusalem to Ramal Shemesh. And she was like, come with me, keep coming. I'm still going to the, to the dance studio. Come with me, we'll, we'll, we'll schlep, we'll schlep in together and, you know, just keep coming. And I was like, okay, fine. So I actually had somebody to go with. And throughout the year we became friends and, you know, it was, um, we were around the same age. Um, we had one kid. Um, we later found out that we got married a week apart. Like we had all these similarities. Our kids are three months apart, you know? 
And um, at the end of the summer, the following year, we were just tired of schlepping back and forth from Mutual Line to RBS. So we decided to uh, open up our own dance school here in Bechemish because there was nothing like what we did here. So that became the RBS uh, Dance and Music Academy. And um, for eight years, I was very involved with that. We both, we developed a very, very um, strong relationship and um, important people in my life. And we became, um, it became such a big thing. Our first year, we started off with 20 girls. And then right now it has 200 girls. So it's something that was needed very, very much in the community. And from there, I found a whole new purpose for what I used to do, you know, for my life and my arts. And I started singing. I wasn't singing so much. I think more of my priority was just the dancing and trying to get the dance into the community. And every so often I would perform. But um, just the past two years, I, I left the academy because I went to America for uh, some work that my husband had to do. So I actually started doing music in this past two years and started writing and put out my own music. And that's where I am now. What a journey. It's so incredible because you can see like the Hashgacha so many times along the way of like everything that brought you to where you are now. But I, I want to ask you a little bit about, you mentioned like during the conversion process, you were hearing a lot of women can't do this and we have to, you know, learn these halachos that seem very like restrictive to women. But your whole life was so much about performing and now you're learning that there's going to be so much restriction on that at any point did you feel like maybe this is a mistake like I don't know how I can fit who I am into this sort of uh restrictive uh model of of the Jewish halachos or because I'm it almost surprised me that you were so willing to go along with it when there was so much of who you are that's being affected you know right I think when the first time I heard the term kolisha, I was completely like, wait, what? Why? Like, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. But I don't think I ever went to the point like, no, that's, you know, it's not, you know, that's, I knew there was a reason. And I didn't fight it. For me, it just felt like, okay, this is what is supposed to be done. Do I need to sing in front of men? No, I don't. You know, like, is there more opportunity for women? Yeah, there is. And I saw that as I grew the, uh, as I helped grow this academy, I saw that the women in the community need it. And I also saw the, that as a performer, you can get more vulnerable in front of a woman than you can for a man. The more religious I became, the more I got to learn about Judaism and, um, and Torah. It just, the whole idea about performing in a mixed crowd became very, very far away from me because I felt more like I can be more personal in front of women. It's like, we're both, you know, the same and type of thing. And it just, it wasn't hard to be honest. I know some people do find it hard to do that. Um, I didn't, and I, I don't think I know how to explain it. I just know that the more I studied, the more, you know, the more I performed in only women uh, opportunities, which there are a lot. There are a lot now, maybe not before. Now there is, there's no excuse, you know, that it's, it's nice. It's better. And I'm okay with it. That's such a cool perspective. It sounds almost like, 
like you're connecting more spiritually with your performing because in front of women, it takes off the pressure of like having to try to, you know, project a different side of yourself because there's men in the audience, you know? Right. Right. There is in a way I remember singing and I know I was a teenager back then and we did do it in mixed crowds. You always feel like in a sense, you know, oh, that boy's cute. You know, I hope he's not looking at me type of thing or just like try to be type of pretty, you know, like make sure you look nice before it becomes less about why you're singing. And at that moment, you're in church mode. Like back then you're in church mode. It's supposed to be a spiritual aspect. You're supposed to be giving off, you know, sometimes the girls wouldn't even dress very senua. Like it's not, we didn't have that concept back then. I think, I think we did to a certain point, but still. So you have men looking at you, you have now I think of it and I'm just like, wow, like that's a big type of um, load off that you don't have to have this like, oh, is he looking at me? Is he not? Regardless of whether I'm married or not, you know, it's just, it's nice to have that load off. Yeah, it's so true. Because when you think about like celebrity singers, mainstream, not Jewish, but, you know, non-Jewish, everything is about, you know, their image and how they look. And it's almost like if someone has a beautiful voice, but they don't look that beautiful, then they'll never be successful because they have to have the look to go along with the voice. So like this, I mean, you are beautiful, but performing in front of an exclusively female crowd who's looking for like a spiritual connection, you know, takes that whole aspect, that pressure away, right? That's it a does. very cool perspective. It does, it really does. And it's also wonderful that you're bringing this to, um, you know, the from community, like girls who really need this sort of outlet. And now they have it in a kosher way because people like you, Rachel Factor, you know, are able to bring their experience and what you've learned um, and bring it into the from community in such a healthy and positive way. So that's so awesome. Thank you. I think it's great. I think the girls right now are, you know, have such an advantage. I mean, I've, I've only been here for 10 years as far as the Jewish, 11, 11 years, as far as uh, being a part of the, the Jewish people. And even back then, there was kind of nothing for women. Even the music scene itself, it was very, very dry. And in the past years, it's become something so huge, you know, which I am so proud, you know, honored to, to take on with that, you know. And you have women from different genres, and I have my own genre. And I think it's something that girls really connect to. And I'm hoping to keep to keep doing it. That's so it's so beautiful. I think like, you know, I have this like love hate relationship with social media because there's so much good that's happening on it and so much, unfortunately, not good. But I think what you're describing a lot has to do with social media, because there's now this like community of female singers who support each other and from, from all over the world. And it's really beautiful to see women supporting women and propping each other up and, you know, helping each other out. So that's, it's really, really nice. Um, so how was it for you moving to a new country at the same time that you were taking on a new religion, starting a family, right? There's so many changes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Was it, did you find it easy? Like you just got up and did it or was it, were there challenges involved? I don't think there was real challenges. My husband and I, uh, we kind of just went with the flow. Even our conversion wasn't like a big challenge and that's kind of unheard of because we know people who have who struggled with conversion you know and trying to convert and ours took about a year and that was it and um when we decided and even aliyah the whole process was easy and the people we met along the way i think the challenge more was that 
I kind of lost myself because of everything that was going on on a spiritual and emotional level. And I didn't realize how much I had lost of myself until I actually got in the dance studio and I just started letting go. As a performer and somebody who's very emotional already, like that was a moment where I felt that I was like, whoa, like I just went through a lot, you know, but for some reason I'm home and where I'm supposed to be. And I think that's where the challenge was going to be living as a Jewish woman, like what kind of choices, what are you going to make for yourself to become better as a Jewish woman, but also now you have a family, you know, I just, I came when I had a kid, one boy, I now have six. So I think that's where the challenge really was, is that I grew up a different way. And I had to teach my son and my kids how to be Jewish when I was just learning how to be Jewish myself. So yeah, I think that that's, sound right. that was the challenge. And wow. I still tell people like, I'm just, I'm just 11 years old, you know, like, <laughs> it's, it's, and it's still a process. Like my son is literally older than me. Like he's 30. Just, we just celebrated the bar mitzvah and, um, and he knows a lot. My kids are fluent Hebrew speakers and I'm still not, it's just been hard to, you know, to take on another language and everything I've gone through and we're still learning. And so I think that's the biggest challenge of it all. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine like, you know, having grown up religious, what it's like to completely change your life over. And I have so much respect for that. So what would you say to people who, you know, are your friends, your neighbors, your community members, or have uh, community members of their own who have converted? What can we do to make, you know, your integration more smooth? Or, you know, just how, how do you want to be approached, like by people who don't have the same frame of mind to understand like everything that you've been through and where you're coming from? I guess just to treat me as your own. I, yeah, I have a convert story, but you know what? I'm part of this nation, this beautiful nation, and I'm doing my part to be a part of it, to do, to make the difference, to be impactful in the way that I know how, you know? So I'm not a convert, you know, like I am, but I mean, just treat me like a, like your brother, sister type of thing. And that's, I think, how all converts want to be. Um, I know from the stories I've heard that um, a lot of people have found it very hard to convert because I don't think the community know, knew, knows how to handle somebody with that kind of background coming in. You know, it's very foreign. And so they make them feel foreign and they never have the guts to get really involved. You know, if, you, if anybody sees a convert, like embrace them you know, and let them be a part of it because that's really what we're yearning. We don't want to be, we don't want to be the convert for the rest of our lives. We don't want to be in the backseat. We, we can do stuff. We, you know, we, we want to work. We want to do stuff. Right. And not only that, like you, your whole background and experience has given you all these amazing talents and the ability to not just do stuff, but do a lot, you know, like you're bringing such an incredible asset to the community. You're a huge impactful part of the community. So thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience and being such an active, vibrant part of our community. You know, it's so amazing. I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing now a few years ago, but I have had the experience of speaking to so many diverse women. And it's beautiful to see that in, in Judaism and the from community, 
there really is a very diverse spectrum of cultures and backgrounds and and it all just blends together to create such a beautiful spectrum you know um and i'm so honored that you've agreed to share your story here and is there anything else you wanted to mention or say or yeah um one thing i did forget to mention throughout this uh, this whole conversation is that my husband um has is also a singer and he's more involved like um he's on jewish radio like with um the jewish entertainment network in new york and on all gordon like he does a lot of stuff like he has a uh, he has a song coming up with Nisim Black soon. Oh, he's nice. more What's of an established. His name is Yosef Daniel. Um, he's more of an established singer than I am. And um, I forgot to mention that just because we are doing a lot of me, but throughout this whole process, he's been a big part of it. And we both write music together. And uh, that's how actually we met and we, um, we began dating because of our common interest in music. We used to sing a lot together when we were teenagers. So, um, so that kind of, you know, shifted and now we still do it now. And now we feel like, you know, we have this mission on, we have something to say. So we gotta, you know, it's a teamwork type of thing. So I'm really proud, um, you know, that I can do this with my husband. Wow, that's beautiful. So it's really like your music and your performing has been this like common thread that sort of like wove all the different parts of your life together. It's something that Hashem doesn't let me get away from. That's for sure. <laughs> Which is why I knew that once we moved here and all of this started happening, he put certain people in my life, certain things. I knew that that's where he wants me, regardless of what, uh, what other challenges I might have in my life. And just curious, are your kids musical too? Yes, I have uh, a seven-year-old that has been uh, playing drums since he was four, three or four. Uh, my daughter sings and dances, uh, one of my daughters. Um, my other one likes to play piano. And my oldest one is now, he's in the process of learning how to produce music. So he's very interested in, in making music. So it's like a whole musical family. It's so, so nice. Um, and where can people find your music and your husband's music? You can find us, you can stream our music on Spotify, on iTunes, on all digital platforms. You can also buy it online. And uh, you can check us out on YouTube. I have one of my first music videos up on YouTube, of course, after, after three weeks. Uh, my husband also has um, his uh, music videos on YouTube and on Instagram at um, Jesse of Music. So uh, anyone who wants to follow along with Yosef, Daniel, and Jeslia and their music, uh, those are the sources. And I'll also link to them. Um, and thank you so, so much. And good luck with your music and dance camp and your producing and performing. And, you know, I so admire your whole story and everything that you're doing now. Um, and I just thank you for bringing so much light and beauty into our community. And thank you so, so, so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you.